for Your Good Ministries International, a ministry going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. This series is teaching on the law of first reference, that is, how we begin or upon what do we establish all things in our lives, and the law of first institution, that is, through what do we first work all things out in our lives. And now, here's Abraham. Well, a very good day to all who are viewing this program. My name is Abraham Foss, and I have the great privilege of founding and leading a ministry called For Your Good Ministries International. Our ministry's name comes from Romans chapter 1, verse 11, where Paul's writing and expresses his heart's desire and or intention, which is that that is very similar to the very person of Jesus Christ when he came to the earth. And Paul says in Romans 1 verse 11, he says, For I long to be with you, that I may impart some good gift for your good. And so we call our ministry For Your Good Ministries International, because our heart's desire is just that. We believe it's love, love's expression, because love says, for God so loved the world that he gave. In other words, God, in a sense, exists for the benefit of another. That's the you and I represented as mankind. And so our heart, filled with the love of God, spread abroad in our hearts, as the same heart's desire is to impart some good gift, primarily and firstly from the word of God, that will add great benefit for your good. And so today we begin a new series, having just completed our previous series, which ran over 12 episodes, that was called The Law of First Reference. What is the Law of First Reference? Well, what do we refer to firstly? What do we go to as our starting point in any context of our lives? So if we're about to make a decision, we're about to embark on a new journey, we're about to start a new season in our lives, maybe about to get married. Well, before we do so, what do we refer to firstly? So Genesis 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning, God. So we go to God to hear his voice, to get his counsel by his word as regards marriage, for example. <clears throat> in John 1 verse 1, read, as it says, in the beginning was the word. And so wisdom's counsel is, whenever we're about to start a new season, in the beginning of that thought process, we go to the word to establish a sure, solid foundation, that what we're building on that foundation will stand any test or opposition that may come against the thing that we desire to build. Of course, if we don't go to the word of God, if we're going down a road, as scripture says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 12, we're going down a road that seems to be right, but its result or its outcome is destruction. And so wisdom's counsel is in the beginning to go to God's word. However, if we haven't, as is the case with myself in some areas of my life, haven't gone to the word of God initially, well, how do we redress or change the present status quo that may not be the health that we desire and may even have resulted in pain and anguish, brokenheartedness, and whatever may go with that, how do we reverse that situation? Again, in the, in the beginning, as soon as we note 
that we're not in a healthy place, again, wisdom's counsel would be to go to the Word of God as soon as we may possibly find the opportunity to do so, so that being founded again on the Word of God, we can redress a broken situation and bring it back to God's right intended result. For God desires that we always live in a blessed estate, we always prosper and am in health in all things, as John writes in 3 John chapter 2. And so moving on from the law of first reference, we introduced through that series, that we're going to lead on to this series, which is called the law of first institution. So what does that mean? That means what did God institute firstly, having created the heavens and the earth, created mankind, God was now readying or setting up mankind, first and foremostly, the thing he would institute or put in place, you could say ordain or effect. So what is the first thing that God instituted? Because once we understand that, we begin to learn the heart of God, that God's intention is that we process all things firstly and foremostly to the thing that he instituted firstly. So the law of first reference is in the beginning God. God is always first and foremost and overrides anything else. Yet on this planet, he instituted something firstly. And what is that? Well, this series is going to look at that. Because as I said, by understanding what God instituted firstly, we'll nurture that, having foundationed it on the word of God. We'll protect that. We'll guard that. We'll ensure that all other things that we may be involved in will never compromise the thing that God instituted firstly. And so let's look at what God instituted firstly. We'll go to scripture in Genesis chapter 2 in just a while. But before we get there, I want to say what God instituted firstly. Then I want to share what this series of episodes will cover, which context will it minister into. So the thing that God instituted firstly, and as I said, we'll go to scripture in just a while to foundation that. God instituted marriage and therefrom family firstly and foremostly. Now that's a huge thing for us to embrace, to understand, and then to appropriate. So whatever God calls us to do on this planet is never going to compromise the thing that God instituted firstly. In fact, through what God instituted firstly, its health will impart relevant health to the status of our marriage. And we'll look at scripture to substantiate that. Again, my thoughts need to be God's thoughts. But if they're not God's thoughts, they're not helpful to the you or the I. But we'll share from Scripture through this, this series of episodes. We'll see clearly the high value God places and has in marriage. There's a lot of Scripture that props up that that I'm sharing right now. And we'll go to that to the course of the series. So God instituted marriage and therefrom family firstly and foremostly. So you could say, if you look at the components of marriage, what is that that God elevates above all else as we walk this planet? Well, firstly, that we are a husband and or a wife. That's the highest estimation of what God has placed on the planet. Secondly, or therefrom being husband and wife, God has called us to be father and or mother, together making up parenthood from which we have children. 
That's the cluster of that that God estimates highest by what he instituted on this planet. There's many good reasons for that. The one is that it also represents the Godhead. So we have a triune God in a sense. Marriage and family is triune. For it has husband and wife. Then it has children. So marriage and family represent to those who look on our lives the very putting together, if you like, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our marriages and our family and the status thereof minister to people most often more times than any other message we may share to a congregation or teach into a context. So people are, and rightly so, observant of the status of our marriage and of our family. Of course, if your situation in your marriage and your family is far removed from God's ideal as mine was, well, the good news is that God through Scripture can redress that and actually establish a testimony that can minister to many onlookers. So the thing that God instituted firstly is marriage and then family. So this course, who will it minister to? Of course, marriage and family encompasses many contexts, and I want to just make reference to some of them, so that all who may be hearing this will understand that they're included in the audience of those who may be hearing the teaching on marriage and family. So this course will maybe firstly and foremostly minister to those who are still single. Maybe teenagers, maybe going into their late teenage years, perhaps in their early 20s, and they're contemplating or considering or even praying about their future spouse. In other words, they're still looking forward to being married. We're going to look at scripture as to the right road to travel that will consolidate or result in an effective, vibrant marriage from the day that we might say, I do at the altar. So this course will minister to those who are single. May I say also single, having been parted from a past marriage, but looking prospectively to a future marriage. The principles that relate to those who are single yet to be married, the same principles will apply to those who will be married, maybe perhaps yet again, because you want to foundation yourself solidly on God's word, so that any future marriage will be vibrant and will release the very life intention that God has for it. This course will also minister to those who are currently married. Maybe you, you desire for your marriage to be enriched. Maybe your marriage is in struggle. Maybe it's actually at the door of failure. Maybe even contemplative divorce. But before that decision is made, you want to hear what Scripture teaches about marriage because God can and God desires to do so. Redress, restore and reconcile any broken marriage. I want to say at the get-go, because I counsel a lot into marriage, there is no marriage status, however far it may be removed from God's ideal that represents His Word, that cannot be restored. There is hope in any marriage and in any family situation. The Word of God will minister that hope as we go to Scripture through the, through the series called The Law of First Institution. This course will also minister to those who may be in hurting, even abusive, taking advantage and harsh marriages. How do we redress those? How do we infuse God's word to resuscitate a marriage that represents such a status? This marriage will also minister to those who are currently divorced. 
how our healing can come, how restoration can come, and how a future opportunity that may knock on your door called another marriage, how you can step into that marriage, being healed and restored, and having great hope into your future. This course will also minister into those who may be married a second and or a third time. We refer to that often as blended marriages. Well, how do we put that together? Who is the father figure in that context? Who is the mother figure in that context? Who perhaps disciples or maybe disciplines those children? How do we cohabitate with other spouses involved in the broader process of the raising of our children? How do we ensure that even given that status, we can still raise a healthy family because scripture can feed into that context as well. We'll then look at, toward the end of this course, parenthood, the function of father and or mother. A world today has a lot of absent and or abdicating fathers, and scripture teaches into that. I'll be the first thing the enemy intended to steal from us is through our marriages is to steal the father figure. And we'll teach into that context from scripture as we go through this series. So may I say welcome to this series. It will minister to anyone and everyone from teenager up until 120 if that's the case. Because even if you have a marriage that is 50, 60 years old, you want to be able to give counsel into others in regard to marriage from the Word of God. So the entire audience of the populace across the world will gain great benefit from this series. For Your Good Ministries International, a ministry whose vision it is to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. For Your Good both hosts its own conferences and is also invited into other contexts to train and to teach. Two, train pastors and leaders and others in the fivefold ministry. Training to church governance with resultant unity. Mediate into and bring about conflict resolution. Training to marriage, family and parenting. Training to the business sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully for unity commands a blessing. Trains too into the educational sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully for unity commands a blessing. For Your Good also establishes Bible colleges. For Your Good Ministries ministers on Christian radio, on online platforms and on various social media platforms. Partner with us for For Your Good Ministries as a heart for all is going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. And email us for more information on our ministry services or to train into your context. Reach out to us on inquiries at foryourgood.net. Before we teach into the series of marriage and family, I'd like to just share a testimony in regard to my personal marriage to my lovely wife. Vanessa and I, come December 2023, will have been married for 40 years. 
However, our first eight years of marriage were not good. We're in a rather stressed place. In fact, to be true, on the brink of divorce. My wife, Vanessa, had many friends and family who had gone as far as saying and rightly understood that staying married to Abraham Foss was not a wise thing for her to do. At that point in time, our son, Tyron, was five years old. Our daughter, Jessica, was but three years old. Even to this day, when I look at photographs of them at that age and younger, I tend to get a little bit emotional because unbeknown to myself at the time, I, together with my wife, but primarily myself, was bringing emotional stress and anguish onto our children. I see that in those photographs of old. However, at that point in time, having come from broken homes ourselves, ever having gone to church in our earlier years, I knew that Jesus Christ was the answer. It was kind of a homing device inside of myself where I knew that I knew that I knew. The road I was traveling was heading towards desecration with adverse consequences, where my children would uh, pick up the, 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 the consequences of a divorce. And at that point in time, when our marriage was on the brink of divorce, I threw myself at the person of Jesus Christ. I went to scripture and I studied out how to do this thing called marriage. Up until that point in time, I had been doing marriage by my understanding, by my thinking, by what I had observed through my parents, by societal impressions, by my cultural persuasions, by so much that didn't represent the wise counsel of God's word. At that very point in time, both Vanessa and I decided we'd go to church. Vanessa was still very skeptical because I'd given her so many promises that she could trust me going into the future, but every time I'd fail. However, there was a small hope. I often say our marriage was hanging on a thread, and the thread was frayed. But the first service we went into, together as a couple, still somewhat distant in heart, the one from the other, God in His great wisdom and counsel had taken us to a church that was teaching a four-week series on marriage and family. We came into the second part of that series, and there were four different pastors teaching into that series, but the pastor taught on a scripture that really changed my life. And he taught from Genesis chapter, pardon me, from Joshua chapter 24. And I want to read that portion of scripture, and I trust as a minister to me, it may minister to others whose marriage are not in a healthy place, or may impart some good gift to those who are yet to be married to see the value of what Joshua was about to say in Joshua 24. You need to understand that when Joshua writes this, it's probably close to 80 years of history that precedes this. Joshua had followed Moses in the wilderness for 40 years. He now had led the Israelites into the promised land across the Jordan. They now conquered every enemy. They now had a great inheritance that flowed with milk and honey. Joshua had accomplished all that God had called him to accomplish. He's coming to the end of his days, to the end of being in the promised land for close to 40 years. And so after 80 years, he's about to say things that are most salient and of high importance. And so Joshua says the following. So reading from Joshua chapter 24, Let's look at verse 13 onwards. 
I'm reading this in the New King James Version. And so this is God speaking to the people. And then Joshua follows up in a response to the people. And so verse 30 says, I have given you a land for which you did not labor. How awesome is that? God had worked through the people and God through the people had effected that they took a promised land that flowed with milk and honey. So God says, I have given you a land. It's important for us to understand that anything we have is always often from God. And in essence, God does it through us. And so by conclusion, God had given Joshua and the Israelites this great land. So he says, I've given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them. So they now had taken habitation. They had realized the great victory. They were enjoying this land. The scripture defines it was flame with milk and honey, which means an abundant, superfluous, excessively vibrant land. He says, you eat of the vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. God's great provision. God is our provider. That he does it through us. It's actually God that in essence is our provider. And then it goes on to say, now, therefore, fear, which means reverence and be in awe or give great regard and respect to. That's what the word fear means. It doesn't mean be in trepidation and be frightened of. It says, now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And then it goes on to say this. And put away the gods which your forefathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Then he says this, serve the Lord with an exclamation mark. So friends, sometimes when we have attained so much in our lives, especially when our journey, as was the case with Joshua, has been as long as 80 years, there's a great temptation to step away from God. There's a sense in which there can be a mindset that could conclude well, I don't know that I really need God right now. I think I've arrived. I think I now have all that appeases and pleases me. So there is that temptation to step away from God. And so Joshua writes, he says that we are to serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth and to put away the gods because they will come to knock at our door again. The gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Then he says this. And this scripture. Some 33 years ago. Ministered to me profoundly. He said. And if it seems evil to you. To serve the Lord. So Joshua was prepared to walk away from everything. That he had led the people into. Even the very people themselves. But he wasn't going to compromise two things. The first thing is no matter the status of that that he was enjoying, the journey that he had traveled, he was going to serve God. So he says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, that word evil really means to not believe in or serve God. He says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. So he makes it personal. He's talking to all of the Israelites, but he makes this personal. He talks in the singular. Choose you for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell 
And then Joshua says this. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When I first was ministered to by that scripture, I made a resolute decision that as Joshua had made in his case, I was not prepared to compromise my marriage and my family no longer. And I took a decision that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Of course, how could Joshua say that on behalf of his wife, his family and or his household? Because each of us make an individual personal decision as to whether we are serving the Lord. But Joshua could say so because he had represented the person of God himself in all that he did. He had led his family in consideration of his family at all times. And his family was at the place, both wife and children and all of his household, where they had followed his great leadership. And so he could speak on their behalf already knowing their decision had been settled in their hearts. That's the great value of leadership. So people in essence become that that's being led in front of them. And so even for us as ministers or leaders or teachers of the word of God or pastors, in essence, there's a high percentage opportunity available to us that people will become the product of our leadership. So there's a great responsibility in how we lead, but there, there too is a great privilege that when we lead well, when we serve God firstly and foremostly, and as Joshua has now said, when our marriage and our family is strong, we can make a decision, as Joshua did, where we can say, but as for me, I want to say to every husband firstly and foremostly, and then to the inclusion wives as well, that we make this decision, that as for me and my house, there's no alternative, there's only one outcome, we will serve the Lord. And when we begin with that heart set on the road towards marriage, in the road of marriage, whether our marriage is in a poor place or in a healthy place, the one thing we want to say at the get-go is that as for me and as for my house, there is no alternative. There is no compromise, no business opportunity, no even calling God outside of or birth from marriage is going to compromise my marriage and my family firstly. So even in ministry, friends, God never calls us to anything in a sense that's secondary from what he instituted firstly. God instituted marriage and family firstly, especially for us as pastors. We so easily compromise our wives or our husbands and our children. How often is it not the case that the children of pastors are far removed from God today? And often that's because we have put our ministry or our business, in the case of those who might be business, or our pursuance of finance, we actually put those things first, so we've dropped God as being first, and then we've definitely compromised our marriage and our family being first thing that God had instituted. So as we go into the series, I want to say at the get-go, and I want to repeat myself yet again, that we take a stance as Joshua did, and we say, especially as husbands and as fathers, that we say, I will compromise my family no longer or no more. Or when I get married, I will never compromise my marriage or my family. And we say, as Joshua did, these are 
some of the last words that Joshua spoke, and then he went to be with the Lord. So as I said up front, after 80 years, Joshua says this. He makes a decision. He's journeyed life. He's seen it all. He's gone through the desert, the wilderness for 40 years. He's felled the giants. He's now living, can I say, in the lap of the fullness of everything that represents life's desires, if you want. And he says this. He's prepared to compromise all of that. And even those who were following him, as Jesus did when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Joshua comes to this high elevated place where he says, as for me and my house, we will, there's no second option, we will serve the Lord. We thank you for joining us in viewing this program and look forward to meeting with you next week as we continue with this series.